So uh, Friday night was a uh, kind of a dreary night, wasn't it? Thursday we went from like high 80s to Friday it was like what, 50s, 40s, rainy. And, and Keegan had a baseball game at 8 o'clock. I think it was because it was 8 o'clock they went ahead and had it. And so I'm out at the ball field at Oakwood, you know, Friday nights, 8 o'clock. It's dark, it's rainy, it's wet. It's just kind of miserable. And sitting through a couple innings, and I, uh, I need to go to the restroom. And so I walk to the, to the pavilion there at Oakwood and walk in, and, and it's just, uh, you know, normal, every, you know, and I, I walk in, go, go to use the restroom. The only person in there, I realize that the, um, whoever used the restroom before me had not flushed the urinal. And so I, I go to hit the urinal. I want you to kind of sense where I'm at here. It's normal, just life, you know, just. And evidently the way I hit the urinal, at what angle or whatever, you know, uh, it was just the right amount of pressure to go ahead and break the whole thing off the pipe coming out of the wall where the water comes out. And so, quiet, just unassuming, doing my own business here, and all of a sudden, I am encountering water coming out of a spigot about that big, like a fire hydrant. <laughs> right in my, I mean, just, I can't explain it to you. The, I, I cannot, they have a ton of water pressure going out there, just let me tell you. <laughs> I guess with all the sprinkler systems and all that, they make sure it's high. And I am literally one minute minding my own business. The next minute, I am just blown back, literally. I do not know what has happened. I, I literally, I, I don't know if the urinal exploded or what. And I'm getting out of there. I'm trying to get away. I'm realizing. In fact, it was so, I'm telling you people, it was, it was literally hitting the ceilings and the walls of that whole bathroom. There was so much water coming out of there. The, there was a guy who came in right at that moment and barely didn't even get in, and he got wet. So you can imagine how much water. And I was thinking, you know what? I'll never forget this, right? Because it was literally one of those moments when you're doing one thing, and all of a sudden you're encountering something completely off the wall. And I was drenched, and it, it was just miserable. And I've been thinking about that obviously, because <laughs> a little traumatic, but um, I'm recovering now. Um, no, I've just been thinking about that and, and what I was studying all week and speaking on. So often people think that when we come to Jesus, it's kind of like that. It's like one here and then the next minute you're there. It's just like two completely, boom, boom. And there is an element that scripture teaches that any person in Christ Jesus is a new person. Your identity does change in a moment. Literally, just like the, the less than second that I had to react to the water, it, yes, your identity changes in a moment when you are in Christ. But the goal, the purpose, the work of God in our life is not instantaneous. Although we are now his and we're a part of his family and we're his child, what he wants to do with this is actually the work of a lifetime. It is more process than instantaneous. 
Sometimes along the way, we kind of been, we've picked up or things have been taught where it's just like, you know, once, you're, once you find the Lord or the Lord finds you is really the right way to express that. But um, you just, you're just all of a sudden, you're, you're completely new and you're completely different. And, you're, and people around us so often look at us and say, well, you're a Christian now, you should be perfect. And what, you know, all this stuff. And yet the scriptures share with us a different kind of reality. It is the goal of scripture to, yes, give us this new identity, bring us into God's family, make us his child, but then in that, we are then in a position to realize this process of a lifetime of being coming set apart to him, becoming set apart so that we uh, have the ability then to be made into, conformed into, molded into his likeness. And so we've shared through our series things like, well, by him. It's, we're set apart by him. This is the Holy Spirit's work in us. We cannot make ourselves holy. And we've sat here for three weeks on what does it mean to be set apart to him? What does it mean to be his possession? And next week, we'll talk about uh, being set apart for him. What does he then want to do with us, beyond in us, what does he want to do with us for his purpose? But we've noticed in this being set apart to him, it's an exclusive relationship. We become part of it. He is calling us to an exclusive relationship with him. Uh, it, is, it mirrors what he said early on. You should not have no, have no other gods before me. I'm calling you out to an exclusive. It mirrors what we realize in marriage on this earth. That, that kind of relationship. It's exclusive. And we've seen that on our part, on our part, what can we do to be exclusive with him is we surrender to him. We surrender to him. Where our, our part, our role is surrender. And so being set apart comes by surrender. And we've tried to unpackage that. Three weeks ago, we tried to make, kind of introduce that idea. But then we tried to unpackage it and last week just didn't have the time. We talked about two things. Okay, so I'm in an exclusive relationship with him, and this is, this is how I can realize what he's got for me in my life. And okay, so you're saying it's, it surrenders my role, but what does that look like once I surrender? Or as the theologians would say, what, what does a consecrated life look like? What does a surrendered life look like? And we've noticed that one, the scriptures teach that although you might make a surrender that actually this is a life of consistent. It's a life of many surrenders. It's, um, okay, Lord, I'm in a new phase of life. I'm facing new things that I never thought I would. I have a new circumstance or situation. The primary uh, call of God in this is just give it to me, remain surrendered to me in the middle of this. And so if we're going to be set apart, if we're going to be exclusively his, it will always uh, involve many surrenders. Lord, I've surrendered, but here I am, and I'm surrendering this. I'm surrendering that. I'm, I'm just continually maintaining a position of surrender. Notice that. We've noticed that it's also being set apart to him 
is a process, as I've mentioned already. It actually is that word in Scripture, sanctification. That big word is simply telling us that us being set apart is a process. It's the work of God to set us apart, and he does it over our lifetime. I think this is really uh, encouraging because... um, it gives us the ability to understand that um, we don't have to reach this certain high level, like, and what's wrong with me? And, you know, it, it really makes life really real. It, it's, it's really what we experience, and the scriptures exactly speak to that. The idea is, though, I'm not who I was, but I will not be t- tomorrow who I am today. I'm not who I was. But tomorrow, I will not be who I am today. Remember, Paul shared that it's, uh, we're being made in his image from an ever-increasing, in glo- ever-increasing glory. He's saying, listen, you're moving up in this walk with him. It's, he shared that you know Moses, when the glory came on him, when he got the Ten Commandments, when he saw the glory of God, he came down off the mountain. The glory shined in his face so much that he had to wear a veil because people couldn't look on it. It was harmful to him. But over time, that diminished. But yet, because the glory diminished off of Moses, but yet now in this new covenant with the Holy Spirit in our lives, and he being the glory of God being in us, it's more ever increasing their There's a glory. There is a process where we are becoming, we are holy, but we are becoming more and more holy. Does that scare you? I'm just wondering, like, I'm talking like this, and sometimes, "Ah, I don't know about that. I gotta be honest. I mean, this is stuff that I thought, wow, can this really happen with me? I just don't. But yet it is exactly what can happen with us. So, there's a, few more elements to this I would just want to share today in understanding what it means to be exclusively his. And I would say that the third thing, if, if one and two are many surrenders, consistent surrender, and process, the third thing is in this statement. Being set apart causes sin to lose its ability to control our lives. Now this is a big one, right? Because if you're asking me, okay, you're telling me, Chip, you're standing up there these last few Sundays and, and you've told me that I can be holy, never thought that was possible, but I can be. In fact, it's what God wants to do with me. Then what in the world do we do with the elephant in the room and that's sin? Because we all understand that sin is the opposite of holy. Sin is is, uh, is not compatible with God. And so what, do, what happens with sin? I'm glad you asked. Being set apart causes sin to lose its ability to control our lives. Now this statement was chosen very carefully. I know you might read it and forget it in five seconds, but I spent time thinking about how I wanted to communicate this to you because it's very, very important what I say you see Romans chapter 6 says this Paul says shall we continue in sin and what does he respond to his rhetorical question certainly not 
God forbid. And then he goes on and says, you know why? It's because Christ, in the death he died, he died and sin is done in his death. And in the life and the resurrection that he had, the life he gives, gives us the ability now to live a different life. Not only does he take care of sin in his death, but he provides opportunity in his resurrection for us to then have the ability to live some way different. He says this, that in union with Christ, we get to experience the life that Jesus lived. Now, it's in Romans chapter 6 that he finally gets to this point. Before I do that, let me ask you this question. Because this might help you in how you think about sin. I would ask you, is sin essential to human life? Do you think sin is an essential part of human life? Or maybe this is a little bit easier. Let me ask you this question. When you have sinned, what has been your response? Do you respond in this way? It's just who we are. It's just what we do. It's just what we have to deal with. After all, we are human. Is that your response when you think about sin that's been in your life? It's just who we are. It's just what we do. It's just what we have to deal with. After all, we're human. Well, I would tell you that the scriptures give to us a new way to view sin. See, we've been sold some that, you know, we just sin in word, thought, and deed every day. And yet the scriptures are positioning to us a different kind of thinking. And I think it is crucial to us understanding, okay, so I'm being set apart to him in an exclusive relationship. What happens to sin in my life? Romans 6, he goes on to say this. Listen to these words. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone, you become a slave to it, right? Uh, You are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, you sin, you're obeying sin, you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Thanks be to God that that though you used to be slaves to sin, You have come to obey from the heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So Paul is introducing to us a new way of thinking in relation to sin. What is my relationship with sin? We use terms like being a slave, or the idea is being controlled by. And what he is introducing to us, because you have been, uh, you are now in union with Jesus, and he provided 
that sin can be dead and that you can now have power to live a new life, that you are no longer characterized by being obedient to sin. Are you listening to the words I'm using very carefully? Because when I say characterize, I'm talking about words like a disposition. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that you and I will never sin. Okay? I've chosen these words very carefully. But the life of a believer is now characterized by something different than before he knew Jesus. Before sin just ruled, it controlled. With Christ, it does not control. We have a different disposition. We have a different reorientation. We're different. We are different. And that's what he's teaching. In fact, and here's the most important thing I want you to take away this morning, is this. That instead of having the mindset that sin is just something that we just have to deal with, it's who we are, it's what we do, the scriptures are giving us a different reality and they are insisting that sin is not an essential element of human life. In fact, it is teaching us that sin detracts from human life. In fact, I would say this, that sin is subhuman. You're probably thinking, where are you going with this? Well, think about the larger biblical narrative. Think about the foundational narrative of Adam and Eve. This is how God created us, right? And Adam and Eve, when they were created, were fully human, right? I mean, they, and what was absent in their life? Sin. I mean, they're just chilling out in the garden. They're eating really good. They're spending time with God every day, this fellowship. Guess what is not in their life? Sin has not entered into the world. Because this is truly how God created this world to exist. It's his original design, and it is where he will take this world back to. It's fully human when there is the absence of sin. Sin comes in through their choice. All of a sudden, everything's different, right? And it's easy to see as you read the story of mankind after their sin that sin detracts, it degrades, it disintegrates human experience. That's why we live every day with sickness and pain and suffering and disease and disasters. All of that came because of sin. Because sin, it detracts from what is supposed to, to have been. In fact, the scriptures say that sin it absolutely detracts from human experience. It definitely does not define what human experience is supposed to be. Jesus defines what human experience is supposed to be. The scriptures are very clear that when Jesus came, he was what? 100% God, 100% human. Just like you and me. Do you believe that today? I mean, that's foundational to what we believe in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He was all man. 
And so he shows us what it means to be fully human. All right? And so he is the one who defines what humanity should be like. Sin is something that has come in and detracts. It takes away from. In fact, what's an amazing thought is that Jesus, even yet today, seated at the right hand of the Father, is in what form? Human form. That should blow you away about how much God loves you. The eternal God of the, I mean, beyond our comprehension, God became man. Jesus became man, and he forever carries around the form of a human being. In fact, he's got scars in his body. His forever body has scars. And that was all because he loves us. He cares for us. But he defines what it means to be human. Sin does not define what it means to be human. What that means is that the scriptures teach us that Jesus came and what he gives to us is the ability to become human, fully human again. Do you think I'm weird? I feel like you think I'm weird. I'm talking about subhuman and fully, you know. Like, I feel pretty human right now. I don't know what you're talking about. What I'm saying is that this process of being set apart, of being holy, is really the journey for you and I to experience the human life that God always designed or created. Being absent of sin or free from sin, or sin's power, control, being crippled and limited in our life so that we can experience life that is free. It's how he, Adam and Eve in the garden when he created them. That's what he was looking for. That's what he's going to take it back to. And that's what he wants to do with sin. So here's what 1 John says. Listen to this. Now when we read this, I want you to think of these two words, habit and consistent okay so here read this and really probably there's hardly much more to preach on just read this it's really all who who have this hope in them purify themselves there's a holy word right just as he is pure we're gonna we want to be holy set apart that's that word pure hoggy you know that that whole word everyone who sins breaks the law in fact, sin is lawlessness. At the heart of what sin is, it's rebellion against God. It's lawlessness. It's living with a sense of I am my own boss. That's what sin, that's the essence of sin. Sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. In him is no sin. Remember, he's inviting us to union with him, and if we're in him, we begin to experience the life that he lives, and in him was no sin. And so he says this, verse six, no one who lives in him does what? I even put it in capital letters for you. I'm screaming at you, right? People, you ever have people that text you in capital letters, and you're like, why are you yelling at me? I don't know if you do that. I don't know anybody that does that here, but... No one who lives in him keeps on 
sinning. Wow, that's a different word than we've heard. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, this is such a full point, do not let anyone lead you astray. Right in the middle of this, he's saying, listen, there is always going to be people who are going to lead you astray in this matter of sin. Shoot, man, it's easy. I, hey, sin a little, Jesus a little, who cares? I'm for that. That sounds great. That sounds easy. That's not what the scriptures are teaching. Don't let anybody lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will what? Continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. I don't know how to make it any more clear. What is important for us to understand is John purposely uses in the Greek language certain tenses. And it's present form, present tense, so it's, this can happen for you today, it's not future. But it is in this idea of those who habitually keep on sinning. He's not as interested in, did you commit a sin today? If you are, you're not, Jesus, you're not part of Jesus' family. It's the person who has this as a lifestyle, who habitually keeps on continuing to sin. You know, it's John who, in this book earlier, said, listen, listen, if any man sins, we have an advocate with Jesus Christ the righteous, he tells us, listen, there's other portions of Scripture that teach us that we are not going to be perfect in our actions. Yet, it is teaching us that in our relationship to sin, we are no longer words like this, slaves. We are no longer habit-driven by sin. So it looks like this. Like in my life, I'll just use my life because I got to do that. You know, I'm the guy up here, right? I'm not going to use Steve's life because he probably wouldn't appreciate that. So for me, I'm naturally a hothead. I don't know if you knew that, but I am. Got a lot of Irish blood boiling in, or <laughs> that's probably the right word, boiling, flowing through my, and it's easy for me to just like, what are you doing? You know, kind of at the surface can be hot-headed. That's my disposition, my personality. So, before Christ, huh, outbursts were common. Rage was there. I, you did something I didn't like, I'd let you know really fast. I get mad, get in your face, and blah, blah, blah. Right? Christ comes into my life. Now, the idea that I'm going to be completely different is crazy. But what has happened is this whole idea that sin, that particular part of my life, has lost its control on me as grace is working in me and the Holy Spirit's empowered me. And I'm walking with Jesus and I'm growing with Jesus. 
anger is more and more and more in my rearview mirror. A life of anger. I'm not going to tell you right now I haven't gotten angry. I'm I'm not going to tell you right now I haven't gotten angry maybe in the last, I don't know. But there has been a change. It's not like Monday, kick the cat, get mad. Tuesday or Monday night, oh, Lord, forgive me. I know I shouldn't have been angry. Tuesday, kick the cat, get mad. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, you know. You try that stuff with your wife, like not kick your wife, but you know, like for instance, like if you were to like, okay, your socks on the floor. Oh, I'm sorry, I'll pick my socks up tomorrow. Tuesday, socks are still on the floor. Are you gonna pick your socks? Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll do it tomorrow. Wednesday, do the same thing. After a while, your wife looks at you and say, You're not sorry. There's no change. You're not really sorry. Like the scriptures say, godly sorrow works repentance. Godly sorrow works change. And so, but what has happened, if I keep kicking the cat, I don't have a cat, the dog, keep kicking the dog and outbursts of anger and it's just all this, what the scripture is saying is, listen man, you need to be united to Jesus. Something's disconnected here. Because those who are in Christ, the ability for sin to control your life is changing. Yeah. And that way you can look at your life. And and for me, I do. Like, wow. Used to be in that situation. Lord, you've helped me to like, I kept my cool. Right? This is not language of perfection. But it is language of habit. It is language of control. It is language of <clears throat> habit. In Christ, he is, he, has, he is breaking the control of sin in our lives. This is a big one, isn't it? I mean, how many times have I had people I've talked to and they say, yeah, I don't know about Jesus. I, I know people that go to your church. Oh, great. And those people, they just, you know, they say they're in Jesus, but they continue to act like they always have. It's a huge stumbling block, right? It's the number one stumbling block why people don't come to Jesus is because the actions of of people who claim Christ. And the scriptures have always said, hey, that's not the deal. When you're in Jesus, he is reorienting your relationship with sin. Not that I'm sinless. Well, if I sat up there and said that, then you'd look at me and you could say, you know what, you need to get out of here. You're a false prophet. You're claiming to be Jesus Christ. No sin! But I tell you what, sin has lost its dominion in my life. It doesn't reign. And he continues to work in me an ever-increasing new person, a new man. This is awesome. Guys, I'm telling you that as personally, I can only speak for myself, as I experience this, I have begun to experience what it truly is to, have, to live the way I was created. With love, with joy, with peace, with those things that God created us to live with and sin always robbed it from me always took it from me always made me with guilt and condemnation and bound me up but as I break free from that through the power of the spirit life is free and I'm living this is it 
This is what it means to be human. Those who are captured by sin are living a subhuman existence. I went way too long on that, okay? Point four, just share it with you real fast. Being set apart is energized by the Spirit and His Word. Simply, Jesus prayed, sanctify them, set them apart. The whole words here, he's praying this the night before he's going to the cross. Big deal to him, important. Sanctify these people, all my people. Set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. And so all this idea of how am I gonna be exclusively his, how am I committed to him, the tool he uses is his word. His word is what helps us to be set apart as it fills our minds, as it speaks to us, as it draws us closer to him, it's the tool he uses to set us apart. Amen? Woo, amen? Okay, I can get off that now. We get to move on next week. You can say, ah, three weeks of that stuff. Shut up. But he does call us to be set apart to him. Exclusive relationship, and this is what it looks like. It's a life of constant surrender, many surrenders. It's a process, thank the Lord. And it, it changes my disposition towards sin. Sin does not have to control me any longer. And he's gonna use the word. He gives me a tool to make it happen. Let's stand this morning. <clears throat> Father, Lord, thank you uh, for your word. Lord, we're just trying to plow through it. We wanna be people who live lives that uh, uh, bring you glory and, and bring us peace and, and happiness, Lord. And we, we believe it's in your word. That's exactly where it comes from. And so, Lord, as we've worked through this, I pray that what I've brought out of the scriptures would just stay with us, Lord. Um, I know that what you're doing in our lives, what you're wanting to do is a beautiful thing. And you're going to enable us to realize what it is to live human how we were meant to live, and also you're gonna give us a great purpose as you're doing this work in our life. And we can live full, meaningful, fulfilling lives in Jesus Christ. So Lord, continue that work in each one of us. Set us apart to you. In Jesus' name, amen.